0: Good morning, once again, morning. it's still good to see everyone here after, after all those weeks apart. Um, so today we're going to continue on through First Peter, so we'll finish up First Peter chapter 1 and read the first couple verses of chapter 2 as well. Um, so as a little recap from uh, the past few times I've preached through First Peter, um, it starts off Kind of the first two verses and the first 12 is all about Peter telling us about our new identity in Christ. That if you're in Christ, you're chosen by the Father. The Spirit sets you apart, consecrates you, so that now you no longer belong to the world, but instead you belong to God. And then you're placed into the new covenant instituted and given by Christ. And so because of all that, we're exiles. foreigners or sojourners here on this earth because our true home, our true citizenship is in heaven. Um, And then after that, Peter then in the next few verses tells us, all right, so this is your new identity. Now this is what you guys are supposed to do. This is how you live out your Christian life. And he lays out kind of four commands. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at the first two and this week we'll look at the, the second two. It's all about the Christian, the Christian walk. So if we think about our walk with Christ as a race, it kind of hits four points. The, the end goal, our motivation, what we're running towards, what's, what's waiting for us at the finish line, how we run, and then what sustains us as we run. So those, those four commands were, first, set your mind on the grace ahead. That's, that's our motivation, that what we're running towards is when Christ institutes his kingdom here on earth. Uh, we're here now, it's, it's partially here, but then it'll be in full, and he'll return to judge the living and the dead, and all things will be made new, and evilness and sin and death and sickness will be done away with. And he will be our God, and we will be his people, and he'll, he will be among us and will be with him forever. And then the second one is to be holy as God our Father is holy because we we're now his children, we've been adopted into his family. And so now we we look to our father and say, "I want to be like you. I'm going to live how you would have me live." And then the last two that we're going to look at today are going to be loving one another earnestly and to crave pure spiritual milk of God. But let's read today's passage. So we'll be First Peter 1, uh, starting in verse 19, and then we'll read through chapter 2, verse 3, or starting in verse 22. <clears throat> Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. God, as we look at your word and read it, God, I ask that your spirit would be at work, at work in us, bringing it to life in our hearts, that we would be transformed and shaped by it. That we won't just read your word and walk away, but that it'd hold up a mirror to to who we are and our need for a savior, and that it would transform us from one degree to another into the image of Christ, so God as as we read and as I preach, I ask that only the words from from you the, uh, the words of truth that those would stick in our minds, and anything that I'm mistaken about would just be forgotten, but God let let your word, your gospel stand true, and let it let it change us in your son's name, we pray amen all right so the the four commands we just mentioned uh the last two are that we just read, love one another earnestly, and then to crave the pure spiritual milk. Uh, so so we'll, we'll unpack what each of those look like. Um, but if we think back to last week, uh, that second command, uh, to be holy as our Father is holy. Uh, this is, It's equivalent to the, the, the greatest command in the Bible, as Jesus says, is to love our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he also tells us uh, that if you love God, you'll, you'll obey me. That to, to obey God is to love God. Um, and then this, this, the second greatest command is one like it, but it's to love our neighbor as ourself. Or as Jesus tells us, to love each other as he himself has loved us. And so th- those two great commands, all the other commands in the Bible hang on it. Uh, if we think of the Ten, the ten Commandments, uh, the first four or five are all about how we love God. And then the second half is all about how we, how we love each other, how we love our neighbor. Um, and so th- this first command that we're going to look at today, to love one another earnestly, um, it's, all, it's, it's based in the gospel of the, of the good news of Jesus Christ. So if if we look here, it says, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. that, That Peter is grounding this in the work that the Spirit did when you believed in Christ. That you're born again, you're a new creation, that you've been given a new heart, a heart of flesh in place of a heart of stone. That now that you're part of this new humanity, that this people that Christ is making for himself, that that now we live as his ambassadors, and here in exile we represent him. And as a part of that, like now we're finally able to obey God and to follow him, because, because what he's done is set us free from our sin, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago. That that because of the blood of the lamb, that we've been. Lot. We've been redeemed from our former ways. That no longer do we do whatever's right in our own eyes, but now, now we're free. We're free from that. We're free from the enslavement of sin and our own selfish desires, and now we can follow after God. And so now for the first time since Adam and Eve in the garden, we're, we're actually able to live out the calling to be the image of Christ. Or, or the image of God. Uh, he creates us in his image, and then we corrupt it and break it. By Instead of reflecting him, we, we, we turn to sin. But now, now Jesus is a new humanity, this new people that he's making for himself, that we're, we're actually able to reflect God and actually be the image of God because we've been transformed by the word of God. Um, and so Peter here is saying that, that this, this word of God that you heard, that was preached to you when you first believed that that, that when that happened you, you were transformed, you were made new. Um, and and this is, it's eternal. It's everlasting. It's based in God's word. It's not based in what we do or anything else. Uh, if we think of anything else around us besides God, God is the only one that's eternal. Uh, that That Whatever self-help things we turn to can be helpful, but they can't change our heart. That that it's the word of God that changes our heart. And Peter here he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, So let's let's turn there briefly and read the context of what he's quoting. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah writes, uh, But the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend to his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And so when Isaiah gave this prophecy, Israel was exiled. They were conquered by Babylon, and they were no longer in their homeland. Instead, they were, they were torn away, sent far from their home, living in a nation that they had never known before, but the people that didn't worship their God. And they're called, during that time, Jeremiah Jeremiah commands them to seek the good of their city that they're in and to pray for them and to follow God above all else. Um, But now here Isaiah gives this prophecy that eventually that exile is going to end and the Lord is going to speak and he's going to comfort his people that no longer are you cast out, but instead the Lord has come. That there's a voice crying in the wilderness, and the Lord is coming to gather His people. And it's it's based in the promise, the eternal promise of God, and that His word is everlasting, that His word never changes, that what God says, He does. And so it points forward to Christ. Uh, that that. John the Baptist, he, he was the voice crying in the wilderness, that he was preparing the way for the Lord. And then Jesus came. Jesus was the, the, the Christ, the Messiah, the awaited king, the savior of his people. And so now that, that good news that is cried out by the mountain, by the people of God, is that the king has come, that he's ruling, that he's tending his flock like a shepherd. That it's pointing forward to, to when Christ would come and save his people. And that he would be their king and would rule over them. And would lead them into an everlasting kingdom. And that when that happens, every valley is lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. That, that he exalts and lifts up the oppressed, the brokenhearted, the poor in spirit. And then he humbles the proud and mighty and haughty that all in Christ are now, are now one, are, are equal before him. And so what Peter is doing is he, he's laying in this context of Isaiah when the people are in Babylon, but the Lord has come to, re, to recover them uh, to carry them, to gently lead them. And so he, he's telling us that even now when we're exiles here on earth, that the Lord did come. Remember that he did come, and that he's, he's coming again. Uh, and so it's building up off of that, that first command to, to set our eyes on the grace ahead, that, that Christ is going to return, that our exile will end that we will, once again, be gathered home with him. And so he's he's basing this off of the word of God, that what God says, he does. And that when God says someone is made new, when someone is righteous before him, that can't be taken away. And so someone places their trust their faith, their hope in Christ. Then God says they are righteous before him. He looks at them and sees his son, that their sin is placed on Christ, that Christ's righteousness is given to them. And so Peter's saying, all right, if you're in Christ, if you've been transformed, if you've been made new, then love one another. And when we think about loving one another, uh, Christ, he, he constantly tells us to love our neighbor, even love our enemies, um, but he also tells us to particularly love those that are adopted with us into the family of God. Um, if we think of like Galatians 6.10, uh, Paul tells them to care for one another, but especially those in the household of God. In fact, this is so important that in John chapter 13, verse 35, uh, Jesus tells his disciples that the world will know you because of your love for one another. That loving one another shows that we we are his disciples, that we follow him, that we actually know God. Um, And this, this is so important because love is part of the very character and attributes of God. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. It's just a few pages after where we are in 1 Peter. So 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. John writes this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another. God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And then skipping down to verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love Love his brother. So, to love one another in Christ, it's part of the very core of what it means to to be his disciple, to follow him, to live out his teachings. And so, when we think about that word love, the world has so many different definitions and pictures of it um, that are contrary to what the Bible teaches of what love is. that it's not just a warm, fuzzy feeling, but it's also not just duty or action, Um, but but it's the the perfect image of it is what Christ did for us, that when we were his enemies, he died for us. That he laid down his life for us. Um, And what Peter does here is he contrasts it in verse 1 of chapter 2 to malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, And slander. And so, malice is the opposite of love. All these things are opposed to love. And we all have kind of different hang ups and problems with each of these. Uh, One of these uh, may plague you more than another. Uh, But when we think about them, like if we think of malice, malice is kind of doing evil or wicked or caring for yourself above others, to the harm of others, that at its very, very definition, it can't be love. And deceit deceit hides where, where love is, is in truth. If we think back to Genesis chapter 1, that before Adam and Eve sinned, they were naked and unashamed, that there was complete truth and vulnerability that nothing was hidden from one another, that they weren't hiding who they were. So when we, when we think about love in the church, uh, there's going to be some brothers and sisters that were closer to one another, but it's not an isolated faith. Our faith is meant to be in community with one another, that, that we share our faults and weaknesses so that we can encourage one another, that it doesn't hide. Um, and then love is not hypocritical. I mean, we all sin, we all make mistakes, we all fall. Uh, But the hypocrisy that Peter is talking about here is when you say one thing and then always completely act another way. Uh, So when we say we we love each other, when we love another brother or sister in Christ, um, but always oppose them, always disregard them, always speak against them, that that's the hypocrisy that he's talking about. I mean, we're, we're going to sin against one another. Uh, but the love, of, the love of God says that we will go to our brother and confess our faults and be reconciled with one another. Or if someone sins against us, we go and tell them they've sinned against us, uh, that we, we care for each other's souls that we just don't leave one another in sin and unrighteousness, but we call each other back to point to Christ, uh, to follow Christ. And then it's not envious. Envy is kind of one of my biggest issues uh, that I have to deal with and kill, uh, because envy uh, it looks at what others have rather than themselves. Or it looks at what someone has rather than at the person. That rather than caring for one another, you're wanting to take from them. You, you want what they have. And envy even, like, it rejoices when someone else is f- failing or falling because you don't want the best for them. Instead, you, you want the best for yourself. But then love is not slander. Slander makes up lies or gossips or is backbiting some some of your translations may have. That rather than thinking and talking to each other in the best light possible, always edifying and building one another up, instead we use our words to tear each other down. Uh, Even even if it's not directly to their face, uh, we tell others to tear each other down. In fact, uh, Paul also kind of does this compare and contrast thing of what love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we often go to uh, during weddings, which is important because love should characterize a marriage, but uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the context that Paul is writing that is in the context of the church, is about how we should use our gifts for one another and how we should care for one another. So let's, let's briefly... Look at 1 Corinthians 13 and how Paul defines what Christian love is. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul tells us love is kind of the greatest fruit of the Spirit. When we think about our Christian walk or walk with Christ, it's characterized by faith or trust in him and hope for the future, hope set on what he's doing. And love, love for God and love for one another. But, but love is what binds it all together. And he starts that off like, if I, even in my serving in the church, even in my caring for one another, if it's, if it's not based in love, then it's pointless. That even if I give away everything I have, but I'm not doing it because I I love someone, because I love the poor, but rather I'm doing it for myself, then it's it's pointless. Um, In fact, uh, that when we think about in the church, we're all gifted in different ways. um, But oftentimes we, we... make that our own identity, that I'm the one who always does this and that's my job, that's my role. And that's important, but if, if we take that and say, like, I'm the one that always hands this out and that's my identity rather than I'm in Christ and I'm a follower of Christ and I do this because I love my brothers and sisters and want to serve them then even in that serving, that's pointless, that it's useless, that it's nothing. And so, when we think about the the Christian walk, where we're setting our eyes on the grace ahead, on what Christ is doing in the future, how all things will be made new, that that's what we're running towards. And then, we live out the commands of God by by living out those two great commands of loving God and loving one another, loving our neighbors, and especially those that are our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we think about that, it's, it's a race, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. It lasts our entire life until, until Christ returns. When we think about that, it's, it can be tiring Especially every day we wake up and we deal with our own sin and we get frustrated that we're still so far from being like Christ. Or we wake up and there's another day with another person mocking our faith or imprisoning us for our faith or even killing us for our faith depending on where we live. That we're tempted to to, to turn away to doubt. Um, and so the question is, what sustains us in that race, in that marathon? And that's what, what Peter ends it with, is the pure spiritual milk that, that helps us grow. Um, that that's what's sustaining us. And so then we have to ask, like, what is Peter talking about, pure spiritual milk? he's using it as a metaphor to remind us of like little babies That little babies they can't do anything they can't grow they can't get food for themselves instead they they they're given food by their mother that they nurse on their their mother's milk that 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 now if we're in Christ if we've been reborn if we've been born again that we should be like that that we go to the one who gave us birth for, for this milk, for this sustenance. And so when Peter is talking about that, uh, yes, it's, it's the word of God, but it's not just the word of God. It's, it's God himself. God himself is the milk, is our sustenance. Um, because he bases it in verse 3, he talks about, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good, that upon conversion, we, we see the goodness of God and it gives us rest. It restores us. It renews us. It transforms us. That God himself is the sustainer. In fact, if we look back in verse 5 of chapter 1, uh, Peter tells us that God's power is guarding us through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. When we Think about this race of the Christian life, and we're tired, and we're weary, and we're emotionally drained, and we don't know how we can even have the strength to go on another day. That it's God who meets us there and says, Come into my presence, be with me, I'll renew you. In fact, uh, at the end of Isaiah chapter 40, where Isaiah 40 is calling us to hope, even during our exile, that the Lord, the King, is coming. That chapter 40 ends with this, that Israel, even then, as they're awaiting this, that they're doubting. So Isaiah 40, verse 27, writes, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That, that God renews those that wait for him. That he, he is the God of all comfort. That he comes to our weakness because he himself, that Christ himself experienced that weakness. That he gave up everything for us, so that he can sympathize with us in our weakness. And then he he comes alongside us and lifts us up, comforts us, renews us, strengthens us. And Peter here is um, he's alluding to Psalm 34. Uh, that if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, that, that, that comes from Psalm 34 and then kind of throughout the next few chapters of First Peter. Um, Peter's kind of expounding on Psalm 34. And so Psalm 34 was written by David when he finally, when he feigns insanity and escapes from the clutches of this king that wants to kill him and imprison him. And he ends it with that, I have seen and tasted and the Lord is good. That when we think that back on our whole Christian life, that Christ came and rescued us, that we escaped from the clutches of sin. And then at that moment, we knew God was good, that he, his presence is good. And so we always have to go back to that, continually repenting, reminding each other and ourselves to go to the presence of God. And we can do that because of what Christ has done for us. Uh, Hebrews tells us that we can go with confidence to the throne of grace because of what Christ has done. That that because of what Christ had done, that he has completely made us new, completely washed away our sins. Now we can go into the presence of God again and again and again, day after day, year after year, and be renewed and strengthened by him. And we do that through prayer, through the word, through fellowship with one another. And, and it's all secure because God says he will never leave us nor forsake us. That he's always with us, even when for some reason we don't feel him. That he, he's with us, even when we don't see him. That he is always there, always caring, always renewing us, always doing the best for us, even when it's hard, because he's he's our shepherd. He he leads us even through the shadow of death, because he's leading us to the streams of everlasting waters. He's leading us to himself, to value him, to worship him above all else, because in him, in him alone is life. And so here we have the Christian walk of what we're running towards, of this future grace, of everything being made new, of sin being eradicated, of justice coming, of Jesus' eternal kingdom and reign. And as, as we run towards that, we, we love God and love each other. But what sustains us in that run is God himself. God himself guards us and keeps us that, that no one in the Father's hand is ever taken from him. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand. That he, he's guiding you, he's renewing you. And so today, if, if you're tired, you're weary, go to God. He will renew you, he'll give you strength. He will remind you of the hope of the gospel that, that we're so fervent and zealous towards at the start of our walk that, that he'll continually shape us. He'll help us to kill the sin in our life, to strip aside everything that, that's constantly trying to distract us and turn us from him, that he'll help remove those, even if it means it's painful. Because because he has something better for us. He has himself. So let's pray. God, we thank you for for the gospel of the, the good news that the King of Kings has come, that that this king is also a savior, that he calls a people to himself, and then pays for their iniquity and gives us his righteousness. And that, that, that love is transformative, that it renews and transforms our heart, that, that because of the love you've shown us, now we can love you and we can love others. So God, help us to care for one another, even when it's hard, even when our sins hurt one another. Help us to forgive one another to constantly edify and encourage one another, to point one another to you, to, to what you have done for us through your son. And God, in this walk will have times of weariness and doubt and struggle, but we know that you are always with us. So God, help us to constantly go into your presence, to, to crave your presence, that, that you are pure spiritual milk that that warms us that feeds us that nourishes us that that gives us strength and hope so god we we thank you for everything we are so grateful because without you without what your son has done for us that that we'd be cast off because of our sin that we've rebelled but instead instead you call us to you so god Help us to live that out. Help us to walk with Christ all our days and to bring others with us. Help us to have boldness as we go through our lives, to make disciples of all nations, to to share this love that you've given us with others. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.